are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. A few months ago, I got up one morning, and I was looking at my phone, and uh, when somebody tells me, uh, hey, here's a great book, I think you would love it, I often just <clears throat> put a note in the notes section of my phone, because if I don't, then I forget it. In fact, uh, I have to capture everything in writing, or I forget it, you know. And so one morning I got up and I was looking through that note section of potential books that I might want to read, and I saw that book with. And so I thought to myself, I should, I should see if it's available through the library, check it out, look at it, and see if I want to buy it. And so have an app on my phone where I can check out a book in the library, and the book just appears right there. And it did. And uh, I'm standing in my kitchen, um, had not been up long, um, Got on glasses, pajama clothes, hair is looking awesome. And I'm standing over a cured coffee maker, and the steam is rolling as it's brewing my coffee and the smell of the coffee. And I begin reading this book, first few pages. When I look back on it, it kind of reminds me of the line in the play or the song, and I think it eventually got into a movie. You had me at hello. You know, I mean, I was, I was hooked and, and I knew in that moment I was going to keep reading the book. It was by a guy named Sky Jatani. What a name. Do you ever kind of wish that like your pastor had a name like that? And they would say, who's the pastor at BFC? And you could say, oh, it's Dr. Sky Jatani. Oh, I want to visit their church, you know, but instead it's, um, Ricky Wayne Harvey is our preacher. Yeah, it just doesn't have the same ring, you know, not the same ring. The, the premise of the book is, is, that, is that people come to Christianity with um, high expectations. They've heard stories about people experiencing God in inexpressible ways. And they have a desire to know God and to experience His presence. But Jatani says once in the halls of ancient Christianity, that is not what they experience. It's very different. And they eventually settle for a substitute form of Christianity that does not satisfy the longings of the human soul. And potentially one day leave the church without having ever experienced life with God. So I don't, I don't know if those words resonate with you or not. I, I don't know if there's people in front of me or watching who would say, you know, Pastor Rick, I've, I've, I've heard stories about people who have had incredibly close and intimate relationships with God. And I, I've longed to know God and to experience His presence, but that's not been my story. And, and I feel like maybe I have settled for a form of Christianity that has failed to satisfy my soul. And I don't know that I can say that I've actually experienced life with God. And so 
there might be somebody in the room who's saying, hey, uh, could you just, <laughs> you know, I know you're quoting his words right now, but could you just live in that conversation a little while longer so I can, you know, completely jump on board? I'm not for sure. I'm fully aligned with what you're trying to say or he's trying to say. So let me, let me use a story that might help, okay? Uh, I don't want to leave the barn without everybody on the wagon, so let's just, let's see if this will, will help. So I remember when I moved almost 30 years ago to Columbia, Tennessee to pastor a church there. Um, there was an auto manufacturing plant nine miles north of us called Saturn. Anybody remember the Saturn car? How many of you owned a Saturn? My goodness, look at this. And so in those days, Saturn had the control of the market. Um, they were selling like crazy. I mean, they were just flying off the assembly line. And because business was good, you could work all you wanted to. And many of the people who attended the church that I was a part of, pastoring, they, they worked at Saturn. They, they were working, I'm not making this up, double shifts, 16 hours a day, many of them. Many of them were working seven days a week. And for those, every hour over 40, it was either time and a half or double time. And so many people would tell me, I have doubled my salary this year by working the overtime, by getting paid time and a half or double time. I, I remember one guy came to my office one day and he says, I just wanted to come out and say hi. I haven't seen you for a long time. Um, I have not missed a day of work for six months. Six months solid. I've worked seven days a week. The only problem with that is he had a wife and kids. I remember one day a lady made an appointment with me and she said, could I come by and visit? And sure. And so she gets in my office and she says, you know, I have a wonderful husband. She said, he is, he's a wonderful man. He, he, he would never hurt me or my son in any way. He, he loves us so much. His view of being a father and a husband is to provide for us, to do things for us. And she said, the house we live in, she said, I never dreamed I would live in a house like that. And she said, we're, we're kind of, we're, we're big people. And, and he buys these big new SUVs. And we just drive these big, new, beautiful cars. And, and, and I'm grateful for everything. And this last summer, he was, it was such a big deal to him. He puts in this wonderful swimming pool in our backyard. And it's just, if you could see it, you would just think it was awesome. And while I'm grateful for everything that he does for us, what I really want from him is time with him and my son is only 10 years old and what he needs more than anything else is to be with his father but we never see him he works all the time so he can do things for us but what we really want is him to be with us I know every analogy breaks down but did that help Everybody on the wagon? Because I think if we look to God's Word, and we will in a moment, and I will show you that what God really wants when it comes to us and Him is for us to be with Him. If we said, God, do you want me to do some more stuff for you? I don't think doing stuff for God is bad by any means. It's when we substitute 
doing things for God and not being with God that we get in trouble. And so I'm just going to float this out there, okay? What if what God wants just also happens to be the only thing that can satisfy the longing in our souls? What if what God wants from you and me, and that is to be with Him, also happens to be the only thing that can satisfy the deep longing in our souls? And that's an intimate, deep, close relationship with Him. So instead of me saying this morning, so here's the main point. Here's the bottom line. Here's what I want to talk about. I think it's better in the form of a question. But please don't assume it's for the person beside you or in front of you or behind you. Okay? Please, please let me ask you this question. The question is simply this. Have you settled for a substitute form of Christianity that will never satisfy the deepest longing of your soul? Have you traded life with God for something else? Have you substituted, settled rather for a substitute form of Christianity that will never satisfy the deepest longing of your soul? So why don't we open God's Word together, okay? John chapter 1 verse 1. Probably uh, there's a good many of you who would quote that verse for me without me putting it on the screen. But it's where we begin our conversation today, okay? So John chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what John writes. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. So John says, let me, let me just help you understand clearly, okay, that in the very beginning, okay, the beginning of the beginning, before there was anything, there was the Word. Now, you and I know that he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about rational principle. He's talking about order. He's talking about divinity. In the beginning was Jesus, the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so what we learn from John 1.1, that we also see in the book of Genesis, is that God lived in communion with the Father and the Son from the very beginning. In, in fact, it's more appropriate to say eternally. God coexisted with the Father and the Son, meaning that God is relational. And He lived in fellowship, in communion, in relationship with the Son and the Spirit. Now, when you get to Genesis chapter 1, let me give you this verse. Verse 26, God said, let us, now again it underlines that idea of God living in relationship, in communion with the Son and the Spirit. The Trinity, let us make mankind, how? 
in our image. What does that mean? In our likeness. We talked about it a few weeks ago. We have the capacity, because we're made in the likeness and the image of God, to relate to God. So just as God is relational, He makes us relational. And what God wants from us is relationship. So He creates us with the ability to relate to Him in His image and His likeness, just as He lived in communion and relationship with the Son and the Spirit. He creates us with the ability to live in relationship with Him, the Son, and the Spirit. And then he says, so they may rule. And if you keep reading over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, every creature that moves along the ground. And so when you get to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Okay. But in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Because that's where Adam and Eve were. He goes to be with his people. Because he's a relational God who wants to live in relationship with man that he has created, unlike anything else that he has created. Because man has the ability to relate to God and to live in relationship with God. God. And so now God invites man into this eternal communion that he has experienced always with the Spirit and the Son. He invites us to live in relationship with him and rule with him. It's the heart and the desire and the intention of God from the day He made man. I was traveling uh, just this past week, and, uh, and I was seated on a plane next to a lady who was about, I would guess, 40 years younger than me. It seems like everybody's 40 years younger than me right now. And, um, and so we were just talking a little bit, not much, uh, just very, you know, limited. And finally she says something to me like, um, are, are you from Oklahoma City? And I said, no, no, I was, I was raised in a small Kentucky town. She actually said it with me. It was eerie, you know. Um, and so um, she said, well, when, when, when did you move here? And I said, about 10 years ago. And um, she said, with your job? And I said, yes. And she said, what do you do? You never know how that's going to quite go over in a conversation. And so um, I've learned to kind of help people wade into it. I don't just come out with it, you know. I said, are you aware of, uh, because she's from Oklahoma City, I said, are you aware of a, of a university on 39th Expressway called Southern Nazarene University? Can I get a shout out this morning from anybody? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah. And I said, well, next door to the university, there's a church. And, uh, and I moved here to, to become the pastor of that church. And she says, you're a pastor. And I said, yes. And she says, look. And she kind of turns toward me with her hands like this. And she had kind of like a sleeve tattoo over here. And she later told me about what all that meant. But on her knuckles were the words P-R-A-Y. M-O-R-E, facing 
Like that, if you would read them if you look like that. Pray more. And I said, wow. I said, why did you have pray more tattooed on your hands, fingers? And she said, it's, it's for my grandmother. My grandmother always told us to pray more. Whatever we're going through, pray about it. Just pray, you know. And uh, when you're trying to make a decision, she would say, pray, pray more. You know, and when you were going through tough times or when you were going through good times, uh, whatever's going on, pray. Prayer is such an important part of life. Pray, pray more. And so I don't know a whole lot about this person that I was sitting by the side on the plane, but I know that somewhere in her past there was a grandmother who was a godly woman who instilled in all of her family that praying is a really important thing. I was listening to a prayer seminar um, taught by Glafrey Gilliland. Ring a bell with anybody? Uh, her father was the pastor here in the 60s and 70s, Dr. Ponder Gilliland, and Glafrey was a person of great prayer. And, and in, the, in the seminar, which we have made available online, if you would like to listen, she, um, she talked about her dad who, who, who wanted to be a man of prayer. And he read somewhere that John Wesley got up every day at 4 a.m. and prayed. And so he, he got up at 4 a.m. and prayed. If this man, who is the most influential man in our understanding of theology, our understanding of God, got up at 4 in the morning and prayed, I think I'm going to get up at 4 in the morning and prayed. He said it didn't go great. Um, praying didn't come good at 4, and I was sleepy most of the day, and therefore I was irritable a lot of the day. And finally somebody told me that, well, you know, he took a long nap every afternoon, too. He said, well, I didn't know that when I made the commitment to pray at four, you know. And he said, I remember one day God finally said to me, I think that you and all of your family and all the people you work with would have a better life if you slept in a little bit and prayed later. I think when I talk about life with God, it's easy to reduce it to just pray more. Pray. But it's about way more than just praying. And that's what we gain from this story. You say, what's life like after Eden? And I'm staying really close to Jatani today. Okay? Really close. The tempter comes. The serpent. The enemy. The devil, and he says, I know that you're saying God said not to eat from that tree, but it's okay, you can eat from that tree in the middle of the garden. And so they eat from the tree, and what they actually do is they say, we don't want to just live with God and rule with God, we kind of want to be God. We want to decide what we eat. We want to decide the path that our lives take. In essence, we want to be in control of our own future. Which in essence is sin. I've told you for years, like the old pastor down in Dallas used to say, there's only one sin. Only one. And it's when I say to God, why don't you just slide over into the passenger seat and I'll drive. 
I'll be in control. So let me, let me just ask you um, if you can relate to this at all. Suppose there's a person who is in relationship with God. Me and God, we're, we talk. Big guy in the sky and me, we got, you know. But then that person enters into some sinful behavior. And they're not ready to stop sinning. It's kind of like the other day a friend of mine says to me, you want to get some ice cream later? And I said, oh, I got up this morning just saying I've, I've got to eat better today. But I've already failed miserably. And I am open to failing some more. <laughs> so not only a person says I've sinned, but I'm not done sinning. Do you think that person is like, oh, it's Sunday. <laughs> I can't wait to get to church. In the presence of God. I don't think the person's saying that, do you? The person who says, I'm, I'm with God, we're, you know, we, but then enters into sin, and I'm not ready to stop sin. Do you think that person wakes up in the morning and says, I just want to get my cup of coffee, and I want to get my Bible, and I just want to get into some good prayer time with God? I don't think so. No. And therein lies the problem of the human race. If I'm going to remain in control, it's really hard to be with God. It's really hard to be with God if I'm going to stay in control. And I think that's why we're having the conversation. Let me, let me just give you the words here on the screen, okay? We have to settle for a substitute form of Christianity when we are unwilling to relinquish control. You don't have a choice. How in the world can I be with? See, I'm not talking about just praying. I'm talking about alignment with God's will. And so, so Jatani says, and this is where we're going to spend the next four weeks, and I don't want you to miss one, okay? He talks about, you know, we, we settle for other forms. We take other postures. And let me just give you a, a very brief summary. It'll only take a couple of minutes, but I think you can relate. We settle for life, he says, from God instead of with God. And, and so that's, that's where I just want God's blessings. I'm, I'm not interested in an intimate, close relationship with God so much, but I do want the blessings. It's like a person who says... Got a job interview coming up. I'm counting on him coming through, okay? Because I'm, I'm going to level with you. The last couple of prayers I prayed, he did, he did not answer. And we're not, I'm not feeling right now real good toward him because if he needs to come through. And, and if you're asking me, do I feel intimacy with him? I'm not, you know, I go to church and I, I give them a little bump when the plates come by in the offering and I volunteer some, you know, but no, it's not an intimate relationship, but I'm, I'm doing the Christian thing, but I'm expecting 
And so really it's all about control still, isn't it? I want his blessings. That's what I'm after. Another option we settle for, sometimes he says, is life over God. You know what? Am I a praying person? I'm not a praying person. But I don't think you need to pray about things you know the answers to already. And there's some proven principles even that we find in the Bible. Just apply those. Raising kids God's way. Four steps to a proven marriage. You know what? Some people just need to apply the principles that are already working. And he says another posture we sometimes settle for is life for God. I mean, think about this. A person who says, I just want to do great things for God. Are you right with God in your heart? Do you feel intimacy with Him? Are you close to Him? Do you sense His presence? Maybe not, but God's getting a good deal. I do a lot for this guy. But it's still about control. Because if I do enough good for him, how's he going to turn me down when I get to the pearly gate? You know what I mean? I'm still going to get what I want. And the fourth posture he talks about is life under God. If I just obey him, then I'm just going to open up the wallet and just expect him just to fill it with this stuff, you know? I mean, it's just, I'm just going to figure out what he wants me to do. The Ten Commandments are major for me. The other commandments I work hard at. Do I have an intimate relationship with God? Not necessarily, but I'm trying to do everything he wants me to do. See, here's here's the danger. It's not wrong to live in obedience to God, right? It's not wrong to live for God and to do things for God. That's all good stuff, right? You ready? Here we go. Lean in. It's when we substitute those postures for life with God. I got some sinning over here that I, you know, and it's not going to work to be with him. But I'll do some stuff for him. I'm not giving this up. I'm just going to tell you now. And I'm not going to be able to have a relationship with. But I'll live under. I'll keep the rest of the commandments. Here's the bottom line this morning. The only way we experience life with God is when we relinquish control. I mean, think about this with me. I mean, what about coming to experience life with Him? You say, how do, how, how do you get there again? So here we are in the season of Lent. Think about this with me. Just for, you know, two minutes and I'll, I'll wrap it up. What's Lent about? As we prepare and make our way toward Easter, right? It's a journey with Jesus toward the cross. I don't have a better example 
of relinquishing control in the cross. That's what the season of Lent is about. So in a moment, we're going to sing. You want to come and join me, Nick? We've placed in trays along the altars a little token. And it looks like this. I'm going to put it on my keychain. I'm going to keep it with me. I want it to be a great reminder to me. And this morning, coming down and picking up a token and taking it with you is not only a good reminder for you as we work through this series, but it's also a reminder that surrender is a daily experience. It's not something I did 30 years ago or 50 years ago. Or 10 years ago. It's something I do every day of my life. Because if you're aware like I am. We have an enemy who continues to show up on our doorstep. And when he does. Again. I have to say. I still surrender. And so I think this morning coming as we sing. And picking up a token and taking it with you today. Is a matter of just saying, okay, Lord, I want, I want this. I want relationship with you. So give me the grace to relinquish control and to walk with Jesus toward a cross and to live in relationship with you. I want to know you more. Let's stand. And let's sing. And feel free to come down and just take a token with you as a reminder and pray for grace. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.